Welcome. This is Pastor Danny with Word of Faith Family Church in beautiful Lander, Wyoming. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I pray you will be energized and strengthened as you listen to God's Word. He has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's house with this news. Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's room, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I have, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Chapter 2. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with him. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So there's so much in this, and I would just said. God, help me to get all this out in one service today. There's so many pieces that we can take from this and do this. Now, a first thing that I want to address this morning is that in the Old Testament, the people did not have the Holy Spirit as their teacher, as their helper. Now, the Holy Spirit came as the anointed prophets, priests, and kings, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament like we do in our world today. Their understanding of God was a little bit different. They didn't have an understanding of, of heaven and hell to the degree that we do and understand today. So in the Bible, I think this is helpful. It's good to know that everything, and I want to say this right, it's important to realize that everything in the Bible is truly stated, but it is not a statement of truth. When we look and we, we hear and understand and see where Job says, hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and all these pieces, well, when we begin to understand from the understanding and knowledge that we know today, we realize that, hey, you know what? 
God said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm letting the enemy do this, but I'm not doing this, so to speak. God is not bringing that destruction because what is Job doing? Job is pleasing God. It says multiple times, Job has pleased God. He has honored God in all of those different areas of his life, right? And so we oftentimes begin to question, and, and here's the thing that I want you to realize and understand about this, and really reading it and researching it, Job did not specifically have a hard time with the, the challenges that he faced, with losing all the stuff, with, with losing his health and, and different things like that. What, what he struggled with and worked through was the fact of saying, hey, God, I don't understand why this is happening. It may challenge some of our religious ideas just a little bit. Have you ever been in a time in a situation where you said, hey, I don't know exactly why this is happening? And so we begin, and we're going to study that today, and we're going to look at seven main principles, this is only five, seven main principles that I want to talk through and, and look at that we can apply the lessons from the book of Job to our life today, okay? So um, Job's, how does the rest of the story go? Job's friends then came in, they sat with him, they all tore their clothes and they ashes and everything they were mourning they didn't say anything for seven days sat there in silence for seven days <laughs> and then his friends I, I just want you to picture this just for a minute right so it's not necessarily comical but job lost everything that he had right he lost all of his possessions he lost his family that he had and and and, and every part of it he lost it and so naturally he was mourning each of those things but notice here when we read in those past two deals, it said, so in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Job did nothing wrong. Job didn't come in and say, God, why have you done this to me? He said, no, God, I'll bless you always, no matter what comes in every situation in life. And so Job's friends then came in and tried to convince him and said, hey, dude, you're in sin. You got to get it right. They said, hey, man, you got it. You got it wrong. And we're going to cover that real briefly here in just a minute. He had three different friends that finally started trying to talk to him about like, dude, this persecution's coming. This suffering is coming because you're in sin. But really, that was not the truth of why the suffering came. Okay? The Bible, the Bible says in John 10, 10 that the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I may come that you may have life and life more abundantly. We're going to talk about suffering a little bit. We're going to look at a, a perspective from James in just a minute as well and look at it from the New Testament also and what the Bible defines as suffering um, and go from there. This was a hard message for me to, to start to put together because a lot of times we, like I said before, sometimes we realize, hey, there's things in the Bible that we may not necessarily exactly want to talk about, but the Bible's there. So it's important that we understand why it's there and we can draw those lessons from it. So my hope for you today, guys, is that we leave this place encouraged, knowing and being strengthened of, hey, there's an example in the Old Testament. If we're struggling with something in our lives, if there's some persecution, some challenges, some problems that we're going through, we can realize that we're not alone and that we still have hope through the middle of every one of them. Job had hope through the middle of every one of them. His wife said, curse God and die. His three best friends says, dude, you're in sin. You should get it right. And they basically kind of disowned him. And he said, no, I will not speak against God. I will not blaspheme God, which is an amazing lesson in and of itself. So it's true that those who promote sin and trouble will eventually be punished, but it is false that anyone who is good and innocent will never suffer. And so it's important that um, sometimes when we look at suffering and when we understand it, we realize that suffering can serve a purpose to purify our faith, 
Now, a lot of times in America, we think of suffering as, oh, I'm just suffering. It's so hard, I'm suffering. No, I, I want you to, to, to get this and understand it, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so we're going to go back there. Big lessons. I have seven big lessons today. Number one, if you're taking notes, here it is. Number one, we don't serve God because of what he can do for us. Number one, we don't serve God because of what he can do for us. Our hearts should be in the place of saying, God, I don't care. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I serve you because my heart is pure towards you. I serve you because I love you. I serve you because I honor you. I serve you because I know that you've called me to something higher, something more. Amen. It's a, a message sometimes that, that we start to think about and we say, hey, uh, well, you know, the test is this. If you lost everything that you had, would you still be like Job? That's a big lesson, number one. If you lost everything that you had, would you still honor God in it, even if you didn't understand the why? It's pretty quiet in here this morning. God's called us to honor Him, whether He gives us anything or not. God's called, him, called us to be able to serve Him as our King, as our God, to be sold out to Him no matter what. So the humbling part of this scripture really comes in today and says, hey, you know what? If we didn't even see any blessings. Now, there's a whole other message in that side of it, and I'm not going to go there today. I'm sticking in with Job for the lessons that we see in Job. If there was nothing else that came of it, would we serve God just strictly out of our love for him? Satan even said, he said, God, look, he loves you because of all this stuff. I bet you that he's not going to love you when he loses all of his stuff. And Job passed the test, didn't he? A lot of us already know how this story ends, and we'll get there by the end of today. But the fact of the matter is, is that Job's heart was to God so much so that it wasn't in his possessions. His happiness and his joy and his hope was not in his stuff. I'm sitting on this just for a minute because I'm preaching to myself, too. I always used to hear pastors say that growing up. I'm like, what are you talking about preaching to yourself? Right? That's true. It's for me, too. I'm listening as I'm speaking it out. We've got to get to the place if we said, hey, God, if I didn't get an ounce of benefit from you, am I still serving you with everything I have? The Bible says that Job was an honest and an upright man before God. Did that change when he lost all of his stuff? No. He still blessed God every part of it. And then, also, he had his health, but then his health was taken away. He still chose to bless God in every area of his life. So number one, we don't serve God because of what he can do for us. Number two, and we already kind of hinted to this just a little bit, the mystery of Job was not the fact of the pain or the loss, but of questioning why he was being allowed to suffer. I want you to get this. Job was a true or false, righteous man. True. Job honored God in everything he did, true or false. A lot of times why we don't want to cover this in this day and this age is we say, well, Job was a good man, but he still suffered. We don't believe that that's necessarily true. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's things that we go through in life that we may not know and understand. And that's the big idea from Job. But the bigger idea is how we process it, how we control it, how we handle it. Let me ask you this, for example. Stephen, you get sick. 
about something, there's some sickness, there's a battle of something going on in your life, what do you do? Do you say, oh God, I must have done something wrong? Not I mean, let's be honest, some of us may be at that place where we say, hey, well, you must have done something wrong. As Job's friends told him, they said, hey, you're in sin, you're sinning, right? That's not necessarily the case. The Bible says Job was an upright man. In other words, he was a righteous man. He feared God, he loved God, he was not in sin. But yet he still faced these persecutions. And so our job and the lesson in this, I want to be clear on communicating this to you today, is the fact that, that Job was trying to question, figure out why he was suffering, when really the most important lesson that we can learn from this is the fact of again saying, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter whether I understand what's going on in my life or not. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be sold out for you. I'm going to be passionate for you no matter whether I understand it or not. Amen. That's a hard one for us to process through sometimes. Sometimes we feel like, hey, well, um, this, this must happen. And we'll get to this today and we'll talk about some, some uh, situations of different parts of suffering. Uh, let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's move toward the, the New Testament here. Hebrews, James. James has got some really good stuff in it. I've really been enjoying the book of James lately, of some of the, the practical wisdom that James talks about here. James chapter 1. And this is a different perspective here on this, and we understand. Let's start at verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So I want this to reinforce your belief and understanding that God is a good God, that he has a good plan and a purpose for you. Let's keep reading here. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Verse 16, so don't be led, misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. I'm going to say that again. He never changes. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. We serve God because we know that he never changes, right? We serve God, we know that he never changes. His nature doesn't change. And so we can see here um, through the part of this that, that um, we can understand that no matter what it is, um, it's important that we always trust God in it, okay? Um, sometimes in life, we know why we are suffering. As in the case with Job, we never do. It's better to know God than to know answers. It's better to know God than to know answers. What is the nature of God? What do we know about God? As we hear pastors say often, what is the nature of our God? To love us, to bless us, to bring us up higher, to call us up more into the things of Him. Amen? So, that's the second point. Number three, when something goes wrong, and again, I've, I've, I've stated part of this, when something goes wrong, we shouldn't instantly think that we are wrong about something in our life. I've heard this a lot over the years from believers. Oh, something's wrong happening. You must be, be not living right, right? Something's going wrong. I, I remember pastors saying also, there's two times the enemy will attack you when you're doing something right 
And when you're doing something wrong, <laughs> that about covers it. <laughs> we know the Bible says that the, uh, the, the, enemy, our th the thief, our enemy, walketh around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to try to wreak havoc. He's going to try to cause harm any time he can. This is not just a fun and games type of deal, guys. This is a real deal. It's a real deal. It's a real thing that it's important that we understand. So when something goes wrong, we shouldn't instantly think that we are wrong about something in our life. What is the lesson from Job? Job started to think that there was something wrong. And his friends really did think that there was something wrong. But really, in the end, that's not necessarily true. Let's talk about his friends for a minute. Number four, though his friends were genuine, they were incorrect in their understanding of God. Though his friends were genuine, they were incorrect in their understanding of God. Here's a lesson that we can take from life. Put, surround yourself with godly friends. Surround yourself with friends who know and understand the Bible and the Word of God. Don't just listen to, to negative Nancy calling her up on the phone. Hey, I just uh, wanted to let you know that uh, things are not going right in my family, and so-and-so went to the doctor and got a bad report, and, and my paycheck was really short. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. I know God's trying to teach you a lesson. Surround yourself with friends who are going to encourage you. Hey, um, you know what? I, uh, I've... There's a few things that are not going right, but I know what the Bible says, right? The Bible says God shall provide all of your needs. God shall provide healing and health and wholeness. Those are his promises to you. And on the other end of the line, you should hear yes, and they should start preaching to you about it and saying, yes, the word of God says this. I see it by faith that you're walking healed and whole and healthy. And I don't know where that money's going to come from, but it'll be more than enough to take care of your bills in this week. And you'll be able to even give and you'll be able to look back and say, wow, look at the good things God has done. Amen? Our friends should be at the place of encouraging us, of strengthening us. Now, his friends um, were good-intentioned, but at the same time, they were incorrect in their understanding of God. Let's look at the first one. Job had a bestie, a BFF. His name was Eliphaz, okay? Um, I know you're jealous, too. Eliphaz said that Job suffered because he had sinned and told him to go present his case to God. So friend number one, case study, he said, dude... I love you, man, but um, this persecution, this suffering's coming because you're sinning. Job says, hey, there's, search me. Look at me. There's nothing. I, I, I'm an open book, so to speak. I have not sinned. My heart is right unto God. I've served God. I've, I've made the sacrifice. I've do, done everything that God's told me to do, and I continue to do so. But his friend says, oh, no, sorry, dude. I heard on this one radio show on TV that they said if you sin, then you're, you're, you know God's going to persecute you. Well, we know that the Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And we know that that's a, a, a spiritual death, right? We know that if we're consistently walking in sin, eventually, you know, God has to say, well, I'm sorry. The wages, the payment, the punishment of sin is spiritual death separation from god the holy spirit wants you and we know this but as believers we know that the holy spirit works on our hearts he's going to talk to todd different than he's going to talk to helen right he's going to tell todd something else about how he needs to run his life a choice that he needs to make or not make it's going to be different than helen 
we're in different walks. We're in different levels. He's not going to tell Todd something that he would tell Helen because Todd may not be ready for what Helen's ready for. I'm not making any assumptions here. You get my point, right? We're all in a different level and a different walk and a different understanding with God. But regardless of that, God's calling us up higher. I like to think of it as an ever-sharpening pencil, almost. It's like the things that God asked me to do today were things that he could never ask me to do a decade ago. And hopefully that's true in your life as well. There's things that, that you say, hey, this is just maybe on the outside is something very little. But yet in my heart and with my walk with God, it's something very big. It's a choice of obedience. It's a choice of saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to choose to always follow after you. Because we know that when we serve God, God just is a, doesn't just say, well, congratulations, you made it, you passed the level. It's not just like a video game that says, hey, you finally passed, congratulations. God does say, hey, yes, good job, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But at the same time, our faith is what pleases God. Amen. And so Eliphaz told him, and he said, hey, you know what? You're suffering because you sinned. Go present your case to God. He was genuine, but he was incorrect. Number two, friend number two, Bildad. I'll give you five bucks if you name your kid or grandkid Bildad. Bildad thought that he was suffering. You guys know like a random thing like when we're the, they say our, this is totally off track, but um, like they say that our economy is, is moving towards you know, a recession, whatever, I don't care, God, I live in God's economy, I could care less. I mean, it doesn't matter to me at all, but when, in the peak of people were offering fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars over asking price for houses, and one of the offers even in said, hey, I'll name our, my firstborn son after the person that's selling the house, right? That was a real thing. They were trying to win the offer on this house. Did anybody else hear that story ever, right? Uh, so that was part of their trying to get this house. They were so desperate to get the house. They say, hey, I'll let you, I'll name my firstborn child after you just to try to get this house. Crazy, right? Plum crazy. All right. Anyway, hopefully their name wasn't Bildad, okay? Bildad <laughs> thought that he was suffering because he won't admit that he had sinned, and so that's why he was still suffering. So very close to the same thing, but Bildad said, hey, you're just being stubborn here, dude. You're just, just you know, you're just blocking God in this. You, you are the one that, that you're not doing it because um, you won't admit it, and so that's why you're still suffering. And so when you, we're not going to read the 34, 30, I think 38 chapters of Job in between, but if you want to, go home and read it, and look, these guys say something and then Job responds and they say something and Job responds and there's this great dialogue that exists between these guys and essentially I'm summing it all up for you and that's why he's saying Job dude just eventually these guys said like his wife curse God and die dude you've loved God you served God and now look they thought that God had brought all this but really who do we know brought all this suffering the enemy did right because he's trying to get him off from that of knowing and serving God. Okay, friend number three, Zophar. Zophar said that his sin deserves more suffering than he experiences thus far and that he should get rid of his sins. So he's basically saying, hey, dude, you've sinned again, and uh, the reason that you're suffering now is because you haven't experienced enough suffering for your sins, so keep suffering, dude. <laughs> and let's be honest here this morning just for a minute. In our natural fleshly minds, sometimes we may feel that way. 
we may feel like to the place, especially if we're having a down day, if we haven't been filling our hearts and our spirits with the word of God, we may feel like, hey, you know what? Uh, I've been in a lot of sin, and so, yep, this is the punishment. This is the payment for it, right? Uh, sorry, you haven't paid enough penance. You haven't suffered enough for your sins, so keep going. Well, Jesus hadn't come yet then, so they didn't have the understanding of Jesus coming and dying for their sins, right? Of, of, of being the, the, the direct way to heaven, right? Covering and cleansing their sins completely. What are we talking about? We're talking about restoration. And so far you say, hey, uh, I don't really understand what you're talking about restoration. We're going to get there, I promise. A lot of times it seems that the messages that, that God's asked me to bring, it's like, 95% of the backstory and then 5% with the punchline kind of a thing. So we're getting there, I promise, okay? And like I said, if, if you know, and if you can tell me this on the book of Job, you know where we're going in the end, and you know that it works out okay. Lastly, friend number four, Elihu. Elihu thought that God was using the suffering to mold and train him and to keep him silent so that God would teach him wisdom. So his friend actually did help him a little bit to get to that place. Um, but we know that there's still a few more things that we got to do. Well, somebody's getting messages. Maybe that's God talking to me. If, if, if <laughs> somebody's getting all kinds of notifications here. Okay. All right. So it's important to surround yourself with the influences of people that you trust. It's important to remember that human wisdom is only partial and temporary. His friends were rebuked by God. Has anybody ever went to pastor and said, Hey, pastor, I just really want you to tell me what to do on this situation. And he probably wants to, but based on what he knows that he's supposed to do and what he tries to do, well, I know God will lead you. You'll, you'll know what to do. Anybody ever done that? No, nobody else is willing to raise their hand on it. <laughs> Maybe you're giving him too much wisdom and need to back off. I don't know. But a lot of times is the case. You go to somebody, a godly friend, a pastor, a leader. You say, hey, I don't really know what to do in this situation. Well, if they're wise in a lot of areas they're usually going to say something like well i would encourage you in this but i know that god's going to lead you and you'll know the next steps to be able to do right and so um his friends were were genuine in what they did but we realize that human wisdom is only in part it's only temporary the best wisdom always comes from the word of god the best wisdom always comes from what god says you know what god did in in job 42 7 is he actually rebuked job's friends because they weren't offering godly advice. They weren't giving him true counsel according to the word of God. And they actually got rebuked for it. Number five. Elihu, his last friend, also brought pieces to the conversation that led Job back to a state of humbleness. Matthew 23, verse 13 says this, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6 and 7 say God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A big point in this is humility. Humility. A lot of times, let me say it this way, I guess. Have you ever heard anybody that ever said, oh, that person's too humble? Not really. Right? What does humbleness look like? What did God say here in this? He said, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Do we resist the devil, then he flees, then we submit ourselves to God? That's not the order that it's given. 
what is number one? What is our job to do first? Submit ourselves to God. Humble ourselves before God. And then the devil will flee from you. I don't know about you, but God's really been working on me in this area. My heart is such that I say, God, I desire to humble myself before you. In America, this is a hard thing, humbleness. In the 21st century, in the age of social media, humbleness is hard. In the age of pursuing the American dream, it's hard to say humbleness. When you drive up to work and everybody has a nicer vehicle than you, humbleness can be challenging. When you are always trying to look better than the next person. Women, you're always trying to be a little bit skinnier than that other lady that's next to you, right? I don't know, maybe, I hope that's true. I would think that that's true. Men, you're always trying to have the nicer boat or the nicer pickup that has a few more horsepower, the nicer motorcycle that will just a little bit louder than the last one, right? The gun that shoots a little bit farther or the optics that are just a little bit clearer or the elk by luck and chance and time that has a little bit longer tines on the end. Come on. Some of us, somewhere. <laughs> what really matters in the end Let's, let's go a little bit farther on this. Okay, you get something new. You get something cool. You get something nice. It's cool and nice for about maybe two days, and they're like, oh, that was kind of a letdown, right? There's not happiness. There's not joy. There's not fulfillness for fulfillment in things. We know this. But really, when we submit ourselves to God, when we humble ourselves before God, what does that look like, humbleness? What does that look like? Doing things we don't want to do. How do we humble ourselves? Well, for some of us, maybe we lay off of the things that we enjoy for a while on purpose. In no specific order. Coffee. Food. Television. Uh, what else? Help me out if I'm missing some. Social media, our phones. Yeah, in and of itself. Lay it down. What else? Spending. Yeah, I was just thinking about that at the same time you said that. Spending. Amazon. Man, I'm preaching to myself again. Kendra, are you listening? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> she would laugh if she was here too. She knows. Okay, all these things. Now what could we do instead? Ooh, I got another one before we move on. Sleep. I just need more sleep. Where's the teenager's app? <laughs> sleep, I just need a little more sleep, right? Sometimes our body does need sleep. We know that's wisdom part, right? But at the same time, if we say, hey, God, I'm going to give up five, ten minutes of sleep to get up early to honor you. I'm going to get out of my nice warm bed. Why are you laughing? This is your challenge too? Sure it is. Sure it is. We humble ourselves before God. We say, God, I don't matter as much as you do. My selfish desires don't matter as much as you. I'm putting myself under. I'm putting my flesh under, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to start small. I'm not going to go out and try to change the world tomorrow, but I'm going to start small, and I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to spend a few more minutes in prayer. I'm going to take doing something that I love to do, and I'm going to stop doing it a little bit, and I'm going to go pray. Right? I'm going to do something different. Last night... Uh, if you don't know, I love baseball. So I played baseball all growing up. And uh, uh, 
there's two sports that I love to watch the best, and maybe for you it's different, that's fine. But uh, uh, NCAA March Madness, college basketball playoffs, and then postseason baseball in October. And I love watching it because it's so competitive and it's so intense. And the, n the, not the game last night, but the night before came off, it was basically winning the game came down to one pitch and one hit. When there was probable millions of combinations with pitches and hits and everything, and I just love the, the intensity that comes with that. And if you don't, that's okay. I, I totally respect that too, but, but it's a passion of mine. Anyway, regardless, last night was game two of the World Series. We're watching it for a while, and I haven't had a chance to watch much. I've been busy doing a lot of different things and haven't caught a lot of games this year, and uh, I just said, well, let's turn it off. And, and it was like the seventh inning or something like that, and Kendra looked at me. She's like, what? <laughs> she was so surprised like why'd you turn off the game <laughs> like she was a little bit maybe upset even but like what'd you do that for I was like well I just I know that I need to go pray and prepare for tomorrow and so that was not to put as pastor would say a pin on my chest by any means but it, it's a matter of humbling myself before God because God I say I know your purposes and my, your plans and your people are more important than what I desire and what I want to do right I did not watch the game at all but I went and I spent a little bit of time in prayer and listening to worship and honoring God in that, humbling myself unto God because I said, God, I really want your plans. I want to deliver your message. I want to, to do what every part of what you've called me to do. And I pray that my heart comes out in that and inspires you and encourages you that wherever you're at in your walk today, you say, and you say, God, I want to call, I want to be called up higher. I want to do more. I want to follow after your plan with this intensity, this passion, this purpose. Guys, this life on earth is not very long. And I think that the older you are in our congregation today, the more you could probably champion that idea, the more you could say, yes, that's true. Life has went by quickly, much more quickly than I anticipated when I was young. We only have one shot to make a difference in this world. Only one chance. And then it's eternity. And then we're faced with our Master and our Savior. I've been reading this book by John Bevere. It's called Driven by Eternity. And he does a parallel in there. Has anybody ever read it in here? If you have, it's fantastic. It's about, and if you, if you haven't, I encourage you to do so. He paints this picture and he tells the story of what it looks like with real life characters. But then it, there's much symbolism that talks about heaven. And those that are in that day of judgment. And it doesn't all turn out roses. There's people that were given a great knowledge and chose not to walk in the knowledge of God that they had been given. There are people that have been given great things and yet they chose to not use the talents and abilities that God had given them. Don't get to the place to say, well, I'm just insignificant, I'm small, I don't matter much. No, that's so not true. God has a plan and he has a purpose for each and every one of you and he desires to use you wherever you're at wherever you're at in your walk with life. And all he wants from you is your heart to say, yes, God, I choose you. He wants a heart to say, well, church is over. Now I'm on with the rest of my life. He does not want you to say that. He wants you to go out of the doors and say, wow, man, I need to do more with serving God. Here's the next steps I'm going to do and follow after him because the Holy Spirit is working on my heart. He's teaching me. He's growing me. He's showing me. He's moving me up higher in those things. Amen. And so we realize here um, each of these things. Number six, Job refused to give up on the promises of God. 
Though he suffered immensely, he never sinned, cursed God, or said anything wrong. Job refused to give up on the promises of God. I challenge you today that wherever you're at, whatever, if, you're, if you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, Job refused to give up on the promises of God. He refused to give up on what he knew about God. He refused to give up on what he knew and understood about the nature of God. He said, God is a good God. I know God. I served God. I've loved God. And it doesn't matter whether I have all the things or whether I have none. I know that God, you are it. And I'm serving you and I'm not going to give up. Even if my wife says, curse God and die. My three BFFs say, four, curse God and die. No, I am convinced. I am persuaded of the nature of God. I love God and I'm serving after Him with all of my heart. These things don't matter. They don't influence what I know about God. They don't change my love for God. Job refused to give up on what he knew and what he understood about the promises of God. I'm humbled by what God said about Job in the first couple chapters. He said, truly, he is one. I'm not exactly right on that, but go back and look, we've read it. Truly, he is upright before me. I desire to be that way. Persecutions, challenges, sufferings may come. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not wavering. I'm not once going to curse God. I'm not going to question God. I'm not going to do any of these things, but I'm going to say, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. Number seven, despite all the challenges that Job faced, God blessed him. Let's go back to Job 42. Job 42. This is after all of his friends have come. Job refused to curse God. Job never sinned. He never said anything wrong. Verse 42, uh, verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance or his humbleness. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So his friends are rebuked here. So what did he tell them to do? Go make a sacrifice, a burnt offering for yourselves. He says, my servant Job will pray for you. I think that's ironic that Job prays for them. Who was the one going through the suffering? Job. But yeah, he was the biggest person in this situation, wasn't he? He was praying for his friends. Let's keep going. It's going to get real good here. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. So the three dudes did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord 
restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And if we read it with our understanding today, because of all the trials that the enemy had brought against him, right? And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. I'm going to read that again. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima. She must have loved syrup. The second, Keziah. The third, Karen Hapuk. And in all the land... <laughs> this is a serious message. We've got to laugh a little bit. Okay. All right. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. And for those that understand the Bible times... The men were the ones that carried on the family, all those different things, right? And so much so that Job was a man of God. He said, oh, I'm going to also put my daughters in my will as well. So we see here, Job lived, Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. So, when I was reading this and looking about this, I said... Uh, you know, I heard some different things, but I was researching it. Nobody really knows for sure, but to the best kind of recollection that, that we kind of believe and understand, the whole book of Job lasted between two months and one year's time. 42 chapters in the Bible, but yet it only lasted, we know at least a couple months, but probably during that amount of time. So it kind of changes our perspective just a little bit to think that this wasn't a long amount of time, right? To understand that this was just a period of time in his life. I want to take you back just for just a minute and remember what is the main point that we that Job struggled with. Job struggled with the fact that he said, God, you know what? I don't understand the circumstances, but I'm going to always remain faithful. Always remain faithful. What did Job do right? He always remained faithful faithful despite the suffering despite the challenges despite the things in his life that he faced he always remained faithful so as we apply this and we think about one more part of suffering as i'm trying to wrap this up here my my bible has some really good things that i, I just wanted to kind of encourage you with here there's different ways and different methods of what we call suffering right so if i um think that i'm being punished by god for sin in other words, if there is a sin that I know that I need to fix, get it right, confess it before God. 1 John 1 and 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and move on, right? Okay? Is Satan attacking me as I serve God? Does that happen? Yes, it does. How do we fix it? We call on God. Say, God, your promises to me are a yes and amen. God, your word has given me. I am an overachiever. I am more than enough through you who loved me. I'm called according to your purpose, right? Begin to quote that scripture that's risen up, that has been hidden in your heart, that rises up from the inside of you. Um, or, and this is a big one, is my suffering a result of natural consequences for which I am directly responsible? This is an oversimplified example, but you wake up and you're in jail and you're getting beat up. 
We could probably make some inferences about why you're in jail. You did what? You broke the law. Those are natural consequences. You can't just go and say, God, why are you tempting me? Why are you making me suffer? Um, no, God had no part of that. That was your choice, right? You get my point in that. Sometimes we can't just always go and say, God, I'm suffering for you, when really it's a, a fact of our own. So I'm just saying there's a balanced approach here that we can understand and realize suffering all doesn't necessarily fall under one specific category. Lastly, if my suffering is due to some unknown reason, I'm not going to draw inward from the pain. I'm going to proclaim my faith in God. I know that he cares. I'm going to wait on him, and he's going to help me through it. Amen? All right, so I've been talking a bunch of different ways tonight. Let's go ahead and, or this morning, let's go ahead and stand up, if you would, please. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. So what lessons can we take away from this, I'm going to recap really quick my seven points again. Number one, we don't serve God because of what he can do for us. Number two, the mystery of Job was not the fact of the pain or the loss, but the questioning of about why. We have to remember to understand not to question about why, but to always keep our focus on him. Number three is the fact that when something goes wrong, we shouldn't instantly think that we are wrong about something in our lives. That's a big one. I think a lot of us should get to that place of understanding. Something goes wrong. It's not just instantly something that just says something that we did wrong. Number four, choose good friends. And five. Number six, Job refused to give up on the promises of God. And number seven, despite all the challenges that he faced, God doubled everything that Job had. God is a restorer. He wants to restore you. What are the lessons in this? The lesson says, hey, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been in life, no matter, like I said before, if you're on the hills of life, the mountaintops, or the valleys are somewhere in between, the lessons that we can learn from Job says, hey, God, I'm always going to have a heart after you. I'm always going to follow you. I'm always going to trust you. And what did God do through the middle of it? Job had how many opportunities to turn his back? He could have been like Adam and listened to his wife. He could have listened to his friends. He could have listened to his feelings, his soul. But did he do any of those things? No, he stood firm and fast on what he knew about God, the nature of God, and he trusted in God. And what did God ultimately do? God restored him. He not just brought him back to where he was, but he brought him back better, double and more of what he could do. The Bible says that he lived a good, long life with children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. God brought all of that restoration back to him. And so that's the lesson I want you to take from that today, is to realize that, hey, God always has good plans and good things in store for you. He's always going to, to not, he's not going to just recall you to do something, but not do his end of the deal. We know that we're in covenant with God. We know that whatever is his is ours, right? And so we trust him for it. We know, God, you're the king. You're the God. You are God, and I'm going to trust you in it. Amen? Pastor Michael. Yes, One absolutely. thing, real quick. I've often thought about this. Would the enemy have done what he'd done to Job had he knew that God was going to double up on him at the end? No, not for a minute. See, he didn't know, but God did. God knew the increase was coming. God knew he was looking for a way to bless Job even more because Job pleased him. 
but he also knew Job's heart. Job wouldn't turn back on him. Yep. But the enemy would have never brought all this on Job if he would have known what God was going to do. The enemy stole, but God rewarded, praise God. He thought he could get to him. Mm -hmm. He thought. He yep. said, let me, let me try. I think I can get to him. I think I can break his shell. But he didn't. And look how God blessed him. Amen? All right. Praise God. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us today. We thank you, Father God, for your word. It is so good to us, Father God. We love it, we love it, and we love you, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our teacher, our helper, and our God. And we serve you, and we love you, and we give you all the praise and glory for this day. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen and amen. God bless each and every one of you. Have a wonderful day. Praise God. It's been a joy having you with us today. We pray you've been blessed by spending the time in God's Word. Always remember, you're valuable and precious, special and important to Him.